Hey everybody, this is a special edition episode of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is Chris coming at you from a Friday afternoon here in Austin, Texas. I've got a special guest with me. Jojo Gretchel is joining me to preview London Marathon, which is coming up on Sunday, as well as we'll, we'll start actually by doing a little bit of recap on Boston. So that, since I didn't get to do a proper ye- a recap on my reactions from Boston, welcome Jojo back to the show. You were here, I think, was it Berlin preview that we did with you yes. back in the fall? Yes, yeah. Berlin. Another Kipchoge one. Yeah. Jojo is a former flow track team member turned freelancer slash newsroom producer over at the Statesman happening now. You've interviewed Jordan Hesse recently for competitor. Who else have you talked to recently in this world? Uh, I actually have something coming out pretty soon about Lindsay Flanagan, who oh, cool. kind of snuck into the top 10. Yeah, ninth uh, at Boston. Yeah, I didn't know much about her before. Uh, cool to see her make the Olympic standard. Um, yeah. So some I'll give... Sprinkle some tidbits in about her. Yeah, we can talk about that uh, in the context of our Boston race. I felt bad for Lindsay just on that quick note, side side note. I felt bad for Lindsay at the press conferences in Boston because I don't know how they did it last year, but people told me it was different this year. They put everybody in a room at the same time. Mm-hmm. So men and women all kind of around the edges, all sitting at tables, but there were probably 40 plus elites in there and you have a couple of hours to try to hit everybody. And people like Lindsey Flanning kind of got lost in the fray because everybody's trying to get to Dez and Jordan and Ritz and Scott Fobble and Jared Ward and all of those. And then, of course, all the East Africans. So, so poor Lindsey was kind of sitting there by herself. Yeah, and I'm I actually just, pretty sure that is how they did it last year. Yeah, I just don't understand that. Versus New York, when I was there and you were there, they had the women's elite separated between international and, and U.S. And so you kind of got to break it up a little bit and have a little more time with those those not more fringe players but those second tier athletes that you still want to get to know yeah those scrum situations are so hard because you know you have to hit the big names because you don't know how long they'll stick around for and yeah Yeah. it's nicer when it's a little more split up yeah and i had like eight people i wanted to talk to i got to all of them but jordan who actually bolted a little early And anyway, but then, of course, by that point, you're just, you're just ready, you you know, it's time to go. So anyway, I was, I was sad to not to get to talk to somebody like Lindsay because I was having to focus on others. But you got ninth, so I should have, I should have known better. Okay, let's, let's just jump in as we preview London, but I first wanted to cover some Boston takeaways. We won't recap those races because hopefully everybody watched them. But there were some things that I wanted to call out from the race that, you know, were cool, cool insights or good things to see. I had predicted in my Boston preview that Jordan Hesse would be on the podium. I predicted that she might get second. She got third for the second time coming back after having to not start last year due to that injury. So it was awesome to see her back on the podium, get third again. She got third as well in 2017. She has a pretty insane record at uh, major marathons. She's yeah. third in Chicago, too. Two-thirds in Boston. Those are her three Boston, marathons Third in Chicago. Done. And the second fastest American female ever to cover the distance behind Dina Castor. So her resume is pretty solid if you take out the injuries last year. You've talked to her, I know, a couple of times for interviews. What was your reaction to seeing Jordan on the podium? 
I was really excited to see that. Um, I mean, I think after she she ran Boston and Chicago for the first time a couple years ago, it was clear that she's the future of the race. And also as someone who just has followed her the past 10 years, it was really cool to see her finally kind of find that event she could excel in as a pro. Um, and But to take a whole year off, you know, there's big question marks about what kind of shape she's in what she'll be able to do, especially as we get closer to 2020 um, and that Olympic team kind of looms again. So I, I was really excited to, to see her do well. Um, and I mean, she did, I, in my eyes, I think solidified herself as, as being our top marathoner and the, the favorite for the trials. And I mean, if you're the best American right now, you're potentially a medal threat at the Olympics, which is pretty cool. For sure. And I agree with you. That's one of my takeaways. You know, her health was a question coming in. People wondered if she'd be able to get back on form. But you could see from those Boston press conferences that she was confident. She was talking about having good long runs. She said she didn't have the speed all the way back, but that everything else had gone well in her buildup. So she was a more understated than she was last year before yeah. dropping out of the race, which I think was a good thing to see for me. And so I felt good about picking her on the podium so I was happy to see that play out and I agree with you I think she's the favorite for Atlanta next year February 29th I mean, if you look at her resume in, po in in majors as you mentioned her PR from Chicago 2017 of 22057 is 20 seconds faster than Shalane has ever run and right. and honestly she's still relatively new to the marathon in the grand scheme of things has more potential to uncover and I think she could potentially dominate the trials depending on how everything plays out. Now, of course, Atlanta is going to be an interesting race because of that challenging course. Right. And she'll have to be smart. But at the end of the day, fitness is fitness. She's proven that she can run fast on hilly courses like Boston. I think that means she can do well in Atlanta. The only question mark for me is can she stay healthy between now and then because she has also proven a little bit fragile in the past. And, well, for that reason, I was sort of surprised to see her saying that she wants to go after the American record in the fall and do in another Chicago. one already. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what do you think about that as someone who coaches marathoners? Would you recommend doing another one before the trials? <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good question, and I tend to agree with you. I think if you're playing it safe and really building to the Olympic team and that's your sole focus, you wouldn't, you wouldn't run Chicago. You would... Especially it, if you're someone with a big injury history. Yeah. And and especially you wouldn't, may, I mean, even if you chose to do a, a fall marathon, I don't know that you would put it out there you want to try to get an American record. You would maybe hold back a little bit. I mean, honestly, if I were coaching her, which obviously I'm not, and Salazar clearly knows what he's doing at some level, whether it's, you know, clean or not is a different question. But I would have her focus on the 10K over the summer, do some different things, you know, get back to some of her track routes. And then start a build in the fall to Atlanta and not, and not have that disruption of a marathon because that's the thing about a marathon is no matter what, no matter it goes, and especially if you go all out to get an American record, it takes a month to bounce back from that. Mm -hmm. And then as you say, you also then risk getting back healthy for Atlanta in February. Now, you know, Salazar is clearly somebody who generally knows what he's doing with these things. And we also know that they're not going to jeopardize, I think, her opportunity to make an Olympic team. So I do think this is a situation where potentially 
you know, you, you say you're going to do Chicago, you pencil that in, but you're also super cautious. And if things aren't going well and, and the weather or the course or the training is not, let's say certified, then you pull the plug and just focus on Atlanta. Right. And we have seen them do that. I feel like in the past couple of years with, uh, Rupp and his say where maybe they were going to do a certain half marathon before the big marathon and ended up pulling out for whatever reason. Um, actually, this is interesting. I feel like Salazar's group has made it a bigger priority in the past like four months or so to really like put big goals out there, yeah. probably just to draw more attention to the group and bring more press and attention to the athletes. But I mean, we saw it during indoor season. Or they made, made a big deal about Yomif Kajelcha chasing the world record in the mile. Yeah. I mean, you barely ever hear distance runners talking about, oh, right. I'm actually going to chase a world record, right? So part of me thinks maybe it's also just for more press attention. And, and it is, like you say, sure, they can circle it on the calendar. Uh, but when it comes down to it, if it's not going to work, you know, they wouldn't hesitate to, to walk away. But, you know, articles will still be out there. People will be talking about it. Maybe more fans the sport are being nurtured because they hear about Jordan say going after an American record. So maybe yeah. it's just part of the, the Salazar marketing plan. Maybe. Yeah. And it's funny. I think the last time, you know, before this recent period, the last time they really did that was when Rep was going for the 10 K American record and he got beat by Chris Zelensky <laughs> at Stanford. And that was an insane race that day, but it kind of backfired on them. And so maybe they got gun shy for a little bit, but they're yeah. coming back, coming back to it. That was it. a while ago. <laughs> there was a, it was a long while ago. And uh, Chris Zelensky has moved on, but he did beat Rupp on that day. So we shall see. But, you know, as an American, you've got to be excited about Jordan, her potential. She's still young in the sport, still young in the marathon, has already run fast. I think can beat Tina Castor's American record if anyone can. And if she can do that then she can medal at the Olympics, which is really exciting. Definitely. I mean, well, we'll get into London in a second, though, but <laughs> who knows? Maybe Molly Huddle will have the American record this week. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Don't get me started on that, but we'll get started on that in a second. But let's finish Boston first. So Jordan, obviously, was amazing. As an American fan, that's good to see. It was also impressive to me at Nikiplagat's race to get second. For sure. You know, I feel like Dejefa proved to me that she's legitimate and hats off to her for making that bold move and staying away. But Kiplagat was coming for her and just let that lead stretch a little bit too much. I think it reached three minutes at the 30K point, which was just too much. But she pulled back over the final 10K, two minutes and I believe 12 seconds on that lead. She ran her last her last 5K in 16.09 to try to close that gap and it ended up being too much but in a lot of ways her race was even more impressive than than Jafa's. what do you think more impressive uh <laughs> yeah i mean i guess i mean i guess they were kind of both running on their own after a while i guess you could make that argument it, it took a lot of balls to just go out there and i mean i think most people watching the race thought that she was gonna die and, yeah. and edna was gonna overtake her um but she didn't. She didn't. So you're still giving kudos to Jafa for I mean, she won the having race. the guts to take yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, she enough. did it. I mean, Fair she enough. didn't. If she definitely run out of ground, ran out of ground, but um, 
Yeah, it would have taken another 5K to catch her. Yeah. But but I, I, I don't know. For me, it was interesting. And as talked a little bit about the tactics and the chase back, that it was just kind of all over the place. We didn't get to see a lot of the chase back on the NBC feed. So we don't really know exactly how all of that played out. But it just seemed like if they had organized a little bit earlier to pull that gap down to two minutes instead of three at 30K, then Kiblagat would have won. And I don't know. I guess I'm, I just believe that if she had known, and I don't even know if they knew the gaps. That's the other thing. It's, this isn't like cycling where some motor guy in the motor yeah. you know, cycle <laughs> is showing you a whiteboard with, with splits on it and what the gap is to the breakaway. I don't even think they're getting that kind of information. And so, you know, so, well, so obviously. When, when did Edna break away? About 20. Right before heartbreak. Similar to when she made her move when she won two years ago. And so it was really a push over the final 10K. So in my mind, they just waited too long and they let the gap get yeah. a little bit too big. And if they hadn't, I think Kiblagai could have won. Now that would have required some help from the pack to, to kind of help keep that, that pace more honest. But anyway, it is what it is. Hats off for Jafa to make, for making the move in the moment. I thought she was going to get caught, but she held it together well enough to win but I think part of that's just the fact that she got a little bit lucky that they just started chasing too late. Let's talk about Dez. Fifth place. She's now finished first, second, fourth twice, and fifth at Boston. She's also had a 10th place and I believe 19th place finish. Boston is her place. Fifth is still impressive for her. On a on a race that really didn't play to her strengths with with that er, hot early pace and then the hot chase pace, it kind of got in over she got in over her head at that point. So still impressive for me to see her get fifth. I still think she's a Olympic team member for the marathon if she decides to race in Atlanta. And she's been a little bit cagey about that, yeah. but let's be honest, like she's gonna be there next year. The course is gonna suit her strengths as a challenging course. So I still think she'll be on the Olympic team has a chance to potentially upset a Jordan. If Jordan has a bad day, you know, to me, the top three for the Americans right now are Hastings, Craig, Des, and Jordan. If I were to pick a team right now, but, and we'll get to Emily and Molly in a second. <laughs> those two are also looming as potential threats to that top three. But what did you make of Des's race? I mean, you know, last year, that that was kind of a once in a lifetime race for her to win that and for that the way that that whole race went down um i mean i feel like fifth a fifth is maybe tough because you're so close to the podium but to finish top 5 at boston is a huge accomplishment um i thought it was a good race for her uh again like you were saying we didn't really see that pack action so it's sort of hard to to analyze or think about that uh did did you end up going to the post race conference and I did not make it to that. Okay. I'm curious what, you know, what her reaction to fifth was. Uh she seemed I mean from the video that I watched and some of the quotes, she seemed content with it. Yeah. You know, I I obviously she's hungry for more and she was confident going into the race. I got to talk to her at the press conference. I mean, I'm sure it hurts a little bit to have Jordan finish in front of her, 
Because if anything, you want to be the top American as well. These things. Maybe. But she also talked about how she was kind of coaching Jordan in the pack because Jordan, yeah. I guess, was doing too much work in the chase pack. So Dez was kind of like, hey, don't, you know, don't spend too much energy. So I don't know that Dez cares about being first American. I think she just wants to feel like she gave her best on the day. And it seemed like she did. And so my guess is she's content with fifth. You know, and she also said when I talked to her that, hey, look, I've won Boston. Now all the pressure's off. Right. Like, I don't have to win another race. She doesn't have race. to do anything. <laughs> I don't have to win another race to to be legitimate in this sport anymore. And not that she, there was a question mark there for most people, but maybe there were for some. Yeah. And she was always underestimated, I think. And now she will never be, which is awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think, like you said, finishing fifth there shows that she's definitely in contention for top three next year. Definitely one of the top Americans. Um, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was a good result. The other thing I don't think she quite maybe recognized before, and I understand why this is true. You know, she, she said that the pressure was off that, and I, but I asked her specifically about some of the press stuff and uh, all the PR stuff she had to do as a defending champion. You know, she was at the Red Sox game the day before being introduced before the game with, with Yuki. I think all of that stuff leading up takes a toll in ways yeah. that you don't really realize. So to have that extra energy and pressure of being on your game for those types of pony, you know, pony show kind of events, right. it takes it takes it out of you in ways you're not really recognizing. And so when, when you kind of get to the race, you're not able to put everything into it. And so to finish fifth amidst all that, it's huge, I think. And I think as Americans, we should be proud of her, even even if she wasn't able to defend her title. And again, I think she'll be on the podium next year in Atlanta, personally. We shall see. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it just, it all, like, one of those top people, I feel like there's like five names we mentioned. Yeah. I think maybe three will show up healthy. You know, there's just yeah. going to be casualties right before. Right. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, if she's healthy, she's obviously up there. Yeah. Uh, should we talk about the men's? Not yet. I want to talk about Lindsay okay. Flanagan since you, <laughs> since you got I given, did, yeah. I since talked you to talked her. to her, she got ninth, which is huge for her. Ran, I think it was 229? 230. 230. Yeah, just over 230. Yeah, and, which is a great time in Boston, just a little bit slower than her PR. On a tough day. Yeah, I think it was a, a six-minute, five or six-minute PR on that course. Yeah, and yeah. she got ninth, which means she's got the auto qualifier for the Olympics, which is huge. And she doesn't have to worry about that on the start line next year. And we, of course, don't yet know how all of that's going to play out in terms of what, that, of what that will mean for people going into Atlanta. But what was her reaction? Give us a preview. She was happy. Uh, I mean, it seemed like she had two goals right it was finish top 10 and also to pr get under 230 yep. um she did one almost did the other uh but i i think to get that olympic standard really takes a weight off of her yep. and so now she doesn't have to do a fall marathon so she's someone who she's not doing a fall yeah, marathon yeah. she's like oh I, no I mean, I'm why good. would you yeah yeah <laughs> so i mean now she just has freedom to kind of play around with distances in the summer maybe check out uh atlanta go to peach tree yep. that um the peach tree, tree race on the 4th of July. Yep. Um, I mean, she was happy, but it was sort of like a measured happiness, if that mm. makes sense, where you're also like, I, I feel like she's not satisfied with ninth. 
it still right. feels like, oh, you know, Jordan's third, Des is fifth, and not that she, she's at that level, but knowing that there's there's a lot more room for her to grow into yep. the event. Although she's a pretty experienced marathoner. She's done eight, uh, raced in Boston a couple times. Does she... How does she handicap her chances? I mean, when you're in the women's marathon field in the U.S., I mean, we mentioned those five names. We haven't mentioned Kellen Taylor, Sarah Hall, Steph Bruce. I mean, it's a deep, deep field of American women marathoners. And 229 as a PR isn't good enough to really stack up against those best players. What does she think she needs to do to make a team? I will say that She's focused not only on the 2020 trials, but 2024. Okay. Um, Long term. I like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I asked her, yeah, I asked her straight up, you know, what, what would it take to finish top three at the trials? Um, and, you know, first of all, she's like, well, I think people are underestimating some of these American women. We're making a big deal about the Olympic standard, needing to run a certain time to get in. And she's pretty confident that a lot of people are either going to finish top 10 at like world majors or they're just going to run fast in Atlanta. She's like, there's a lot of competitive women and you know, she's yeah. not kidding herself about that. Uh, yeah, so uh, yeah. she, all, yeah, I think, I think all three of the podium in Atlanta will be sub two twenty nine thirty. Yeah, for I mean, sure. This team is, I mean, it's a different question on the men's side to run two eleven thirty, but two twenty nine thirty, you're going to have to be faster than that to be on the podium. Right. Yeah. So, it's great that she's one of the first women to kind of officially qualify, but I think she's realistic in knowing that there's a lot of really talented women in that event and, you know, there's a lot of time to go before that race. It's also Atlanta in February on a crazy course. Could be warm. It's going to be hilly. You never know. (laughs) You just never know. You never know who's going to be healthy on the start line. You never know how the chaos of the conditions in the course might cause things to play out. You just never know. Got to show up in yeah. race. Although it would veer closer to uh, an L.A. marathon than like Boston last year, right? Being more humid. Right. So, cool. Well, look out for Lindsey Flanagan, everybody. Let's talk about the men's race. Obviously, crazy. Not quite photo finish, but <laughs> I think it was ultimately a two-second gap between Toronto and DeCisa at the very end. It was kind of interesting. I've watched the replay back several times of that final 20 meters, and DeCisa quit with, like, five steps to go. Like, he just backed off, and Toronto took it. It wasn't like Toronto just outkicked him. It's like DeCisa just kind of stopped and let him have it. Obviously, he made his push from the turn onto Hopkinton, which was just too far out. And I think Toronto stayed measured, kind of stayed right on his heels and then made his push a little bit later to get the win. But that was obviously exciting. Those guys closed in 430. <laughs> final mile. World record for Kipchoge is 438 pace. I mean, that's crazy yeah. at the end of Boston. And it makes me wonder things about the <laughs> legitimacy of those two athletes. Right. But we'll set that aside for a convers- for, for another conversation. But it was really, really impressive to see them just going toe-to-toe the entire way. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the best marathon finishes 
I've ever seen. Uh, not that I've watched every great marathon ever, but to see guys sprinting like that at the end was insane. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is there a better... The three of them. Is well, there one that comes to mind for I you? mean, I think about... Des in 2011 when yeah. she got second yeah. it was a very similar thing there were three people together it's actually kind of a similar profile of a race where there were three together Des made a move she got passed and then she made another move then got repassed again and then you know ended up two seconds back uh, on Boylston with a third Kenyan athlete just behind but Caroline Killell ended up with the win there that day so kind of a similar finish actually as as the men had this year so that would be one i would point to i mean if you think about new york this year between katata decisa and camaror going into central park basically neck and neck and decisa with his crazy running stride just ultimately gutting it out over katata at the end it wasn't quite as close from a time standpoint by the by the time they got to the finish but it was three people throwing down right. right all the way into Central Park for that last time. So, so there's been other good ones, but this was certainly. I mean, impressive. I think it was. Maybe I saw a tweet or something. It was definitely one of the closest finishes ever. Maybe in yeah. Boston history. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so yeah, really exciting race. It was also exciting to see Americans do well in it. Sure, they were. What's sixth and seventh or seventh and eighth, Fobble and Ward, but to have them both run two and nine, which is the fastest American has run since Meb in several yeah, years. Yeah, five years. Yeah, in several years, in five years. So, well, the fastest. I mean, Galen uh, Rupp has run faster, right? Right. Yeah. Non Rupp. Yeah, excluding yes. Rupp. Yeah. <laughs> excluding Rupp. Yeah. Yes. The non-rep athletes. So that's huge for them. Big PRs for both of them. Three minutes for Fobble, two minutes for Ward. I think it sets those two guys up as potential non-rep favorites for the podium next next year in Atlanta. Definitely. Um, I feel like they're they're kind of the first wave. I feel like people are going to see. People saw them do that, and now More I think coming. some other. Yeah, I think some other guys will do that too. Um, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see if if Rupp, how Rupp is able to come back from his injury. I mean, there's a chance he doesn't run Atlanta, right? I mean, you got to think so. That was a serious surgery. I mean, he had his Achilles tendon detached and then the bone trimmed down and then his Achilles tendon reattached. Uh. I mean, that's a serious surgery. Now, theoretically, he should be back, but at this point, he doesn't have the Olympic standard. Now, can he run to 11.30 by himself in Atlanta if he needs to? Probably. Probably. But there's still, you know, maybe a small question mark there. And if his health is not quite, and fitness aren't quite where they need to be yet, that could be a challenging thing. I do think it's, it's not a foregone conclusion that Rupp makes this team. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you're right, though. I think these two guys are kind of establishing themselves as two of the non-Rupp front runners and especially i mean we've seen jared ward make an olympic team before finish sixth at the olympics um and and he's been the top american at other marathons before so i thought it was a uh, definitely a bigger breakout race for scott fobble yeah well yeah and, th- and both those guys they were at new york 
right behind, you know, Fobble was right behind Ward, and in this case, Ward's right behind Fobble. So they've shown it consistently, too, now, having done well both at New York and now Boston, being the top two Americans at both. So you got to circle them as non-rup podium favorites. It will be interesting to see if others rise to the occasion. You know, I think Shadrach B. Watt is one who's I think somebody to watch. Yeah, he's good. I mean, I think he had a bad race, and he I was did. actually very surprised. Me too. I mean, he's been the top guy. He was, wasn't he third last year? Third last year, fourth the year before. Yeah. Yeah. Finished and finished ninth at New York in in the fall. But when I asked him about that, he said, look, I had to take 20 days completely off in my cycle for New York. And then I had a 20 day kind of rebuild. And then I had like six weeks to get it together before New York. And he still finished ninth. Really not that far behind Jared Ward in the grand scheme. And so... But he said this cycle went really well. So to see him not have a good day was just was kind of odd for somebody who's been pretty consistent at Boston. Right. But there are others. Scott Smith, Fobble's training partner, is somebody that you have to watch. Brogan Austin has proven that he's somebody to be reckoned with after his U.S. Marathon Championship win at, at CIM. And, you know, you got to think, if Chris Derrick can get healthy, he's somebody who could potentially be in the mix. And he had to drop out of his London right. build this time around. So we'll see. But at this point, I think the men's side, especially with Rupp as a question mark, is comp- is pretty wide open. Let's talk about a couple other quick things from Boston. Joan Benoit Samuelson. Can we all just bow down? <laughs> To her, she ran a 3.04 at the age of 61. She's insane. Unbelievable. She finished, her goal was to finish within 40 minutes of her winning time when she first ran Boston and won in 2.35. <laughs> and she was able to do that easily by, you know, beating her goal by 11 minutes, essentially. And yeah, she didn't look pretty coming down that home stretch. I've seen the video a couple of times. <laughs> my My friend in PT... From Austin, Katie Gwynn was actually right in front of her, so she's on the on the Boston WBZ feed oh, of nice. Jones finish, and and I I told Katie I said you you edged her at the line because she ended up crossing the line ahead of her, <laughs> but apparently Joni had a faster chip time, so Katie was not oh, at all satisfied with that. <laughs> but but anyway, Joan Benoit at sixty one. She also had the fastest age graded time. I think it worked out to something like equivalent at this age of like a 218 or 219 marathon to be wow. able to run 304 at 61. That's insane. That's so insane. hats off to the great <laughs> Joan Benoit. Those so, are the training secrets that I need. <laughs> right. Longevity. It's, 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 uh, it's pretty impressive. Apparently Katie got to talk to her a little bit in the final mile. The other shout out I wanted to give is Mia Bam. Former Rogue AC athlete, former UT athlete, who, this was her, I think, second marathon. She qualified for Boston. Her seed was like 2,300-something. She was in the open field, but ended up finishing the first non-elite female across the line in a 239 to get her Olympic trial standard. And Mia's now working full-time in New York, so she's not a full-time athlete any longer. So impressive to see her get that done. I don't know if you ever knew Mia. Uh, no, I've heard her name, though. Yeah. yeah. So hats off to Mia Definitely for impressive. that OTQ and for being the first 
first female in the open field, which is pretty awesome. So anything else from Boston that you want to mention before we jump into London? Let's go into London. All right. I, I could tell you're eager for that. <laughs> first, before we talk about predictions and previews and who might win, et cetera, j- just wanted to give a quick update on some of the logistics of watching London. The races will go off at 425 Eastern in the U.S. That's when the women's race starts. And then the men's race starts at 510 Eastern. So that would be 325 and 410 Central Time, which is where I will be darn near the middle of the night, unfortunately. And the races will be on NBC Sports Gold. So you can watch it if you have access to the paywall there. Or if you're if you have cable, you can watch it on the Olympic Channel. Or you can watch it online if you sign in on NBC Sports with your cable provider, depending on who you have. That's all U.S. Obviously, of course, it's on BBC if you're a Brit. And if you're not any of the above, then go check out the London Marathon website. They have more details there on where you can watch it from wherever you might be streaming it. Then the other thing I want to mention before we talk races is weather. The weather, as I just looked at the hourly forecast, is going to be pretty favorable from a temperature standpoint. It's supposed to be mid to upper 40s at the start, warming into low 50s at the finish. So pretty ideal temperatures for most of these elite athletes. The one question mark on weather, especially for those that will be up front, is the wind. It does look like there's going to be 12 to 15 mile an hour winds coming from the northwest on race morning and so that's the only question as to how that might affect athletes in the in the in the elite races now of course they're going to have pacers and i'm sure people out there trying to help them block the wind but that's a decent headwind of course london is a a bit of a loop course so shouldn't i think affect the overall races too much because it's not like we're talking about Boston winds, which can gust into the 20 and 25 mile an hour range. So that's the only variable that may cause some strife for the elites. But beyond that, should be perfect temperatures. Before we talk about these races, and we'll do men's first and then women's, JoJo, is we've got to talk about this crazy, crazy <laughs> like TMZ type storyline going on from the press conferences between Mo Farah and Haile Gebrselassie. There is some beef to address. <laughs> yeah, some beef to address. And I'll try to, to do a little bit of justice for those that haven't been paying attention. Mo in the press conference basically called out Haile for the fact that some of his valuables were stolen when Mo was staying in Ethiopia and training in Ethiopia at Haile's hotel. Where he was staying for three months. For three Long months. period of time. Yeah, he was staying for three months, training in Ethiopia. He had... Over $2,500 in cash and various currencies, like three or four different currencies stolen from him. He had U.S. dollars, he had pounds, he had euros, and he had Ethiopian burr, which is weird. And so he had a bunch of cash in different currencies, and he had a watch stolen, a Tag Heuer watch, which I guess he is a, uh, or they are a sponsor for him. Actually, I think it was a birthday present from his wife. Oh, okay. There you go. So, so sentimental value. So too. sentimental. So that was stolen somehow. And Mo just random kind of randomly just called him out for <laughs> it, saying, Hey, I'm kind of annoyed at Hiley because he didn't get my stuff back. And then was it the next day Hiley came out with a press release that basically 
told yeah. his side of the story, which was that Mo was a terrible guest, that he still owed him money, that he was, that he was, I don't know, if, he didn't use the word abusive, but he said he was not friendly to the hotel staff and then also apparently attacked somebody in the hotel gym. Yeah. And, and the, the language <laughs> was really weird. It said so weird. attacked a married athlete, which yeah. you it sounds like a sexual assault, right? right? You kind of jump to the worst thing. Yeah, so but apparently it wasn't. Yeah, apparently no. it wasn't that. It was some sort of physical altercation. And the charges were dropped. Police were called, though, apparently. So now we have, like, beef. And then he also shared a text that Mo had sent him, I guess, effectively threatening him to say, look, we'll see what I say. At the London press conferences, I'm not responsible for any damage that that may cause to your reputation. Signed off, <laughs> Sir Mo. I mean, so which, which is awesome. I hope he signs all of his text messages, Sir Mo. <laughs> so weird. So we have this back and forth. Of course, Mo's coach is defending him. And you have apparently people also talking about some of Mo's other behavior in the past and other places as being a little bit not friendly in other venues and so it's just it's kind of weird and especially for an athlete who's trying to perform its best on Sunday yeah and it's been funny seeing um like the the tabloids in London have really picked up on it and so now all their coverage of the London marathon is the beef between these two athletes yeah uh and the the telegraph picked up Ben Bloom who you know always has the scoop he tweeted these two statements can't both be true Farah says he's had nothing to do. Okay, well, let me. I'm going to read his tweet backwards. Gebra Selassie says he banned Mo Farah from bringing Aiden, who Jama Aden, busted Aden. coach for having a bunch of EPO in his in his apartment in in Spain. Right. So he banned him from bringing him into his hotel in late 2016, and this is when their feud really began. Uh, and now Farah's saying that he's had nothing to do. Uh, with the coach since early 2015. So they're both on the record giving different timelines. So maybe Mo Farah still is in touch <laughs> with Jama Aiden. Uh, I mean, he's training we, in Ethiopia. We haven't really heard from in a while. Um, we haven't. Look, I trust Mo. But it makes Mo look really bad. It made Haile look worse at first, but now I feel like now that, you know, maybe there's a doping implication in there. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's. Just, I just don't understand why you would... Especially if other, if you knew other things happened at the hotel that might make you look bad, why would you even bring it up? It's irrelevant to your race on yeah. Sunday. Like, why would you bring it up? And why? And Hailey is one of the greatest distance runners of all time. Like, it doesn't really matter if you had a bad experience at his hotel. Like, you're not going to be the one that ruins his reputation by talking about how you got your watch and four currencies stolen. And it sounds like he owes more money to the hotel than what was stolen from the room. Yeah. So they should probably just call it even. Yeah. So it's just so weird. And look, I don't trust Mo as it relates to the doping topic at all, because I do think that the association with Auden is sketchy at, at best, especially because he's lied a couple of times about his contact with him and whether he was training with him or not. And he also has spent a bunch of time in Ethiopia, which has less rigorous standards as it relates to right. drug testing and out of competition uh, out of competition testing so that's sketchy but all of that aside it still doesn't make sense why you would bring this up when the person you should be talking about if you're mo farah is not gabra Selassie, it's the great elliot kipchoge 
And you've got to believe that Kipchoge's just sitting over there laughing about it all and confident that he's going to crush his soul on Sunday. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, so, may, maybe Mo's trying to diffuse some of the pressure and, and questions at the press conference, like how are you going to take down Iliad? Maybe. Maybe it's his tactic to distract himself from I mean, the, does, the task. Does Mo have any shot? Well, it's it's good that you asked that because that's the next topic. <laughs> Before we go there, though, so I will say that this type of thing, even if it shows up mostly in the London tabloids, is still good for running in a sense, yeah. right? All press is good press, you know, a little bit of beef and drama and TMZ style his and her, or he said, he said kind of back and forth. It brings attention to the sport. Maybe that's not a bad thing for London, especially because this could be a, a, an historic London, not because of Mo Farah, but because of Kipchoge. Does Mo have a chance? There's no way he has a chance. No one has a chance. I mean, Kipchoge's won 11 straight marathons. And if you look at the variation in times between those races, it, it's, it was basically all 203, 204s until he ran 201. And then, of course, we're not counting the two-hour and 25-second breaking two attempt. So he's consistent. He knows how to win. And his PR is four minutes faster than Mo's. So I don't think he has, a, I don't think Mo has any chance. I don't think anybody has a chance. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, you presented the obvious logic, <laughs> <laughs> right? I I am curious how long he'll try to stay on him. Um, or if he'll just let him go at the beginning. Well, I mean, you mean Farah? Yeah. I, like, I wonder how long it'll be a race. I I think I mean I think Farah doesn't have a choice but to go with him and hold on as long as he can. How long will he stay? I don't know. I mean I think if you look at Berlin, people were able to hang until about thirty K and then it was a Kipchoge show all the way to the finish. We'll see. I mean, because the weather's good, Farah's obviously gonna be energized by being in London on his home turf, so to speak, with all the crowd behind him. That's got to urge him on to hang as long as he can. But 35, 30 to 35K would be the longest I would give him. After that, it's going to be, you know, 12 to 8K of the Kipchoge show once again. Right. In, in, my, in my predictions... But then people also ask, also say, at what point will we see a chink in the armor? One of the interesting things I've seen this week is people talking about Kipchoge's age and how long he can keep doing this. Well, trivia question, who's older, <laughs> Farah or Kipchoge? Um, I mean, Mo Farah's older, right? Yeah, by two years. But, but he's been doing marathons for less time. True. So he's younger, his legs are younger. Oh, in what sense? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, come on. Like Kipchoge's, yeah, he's got more marathons in his legs, but so what? I will say but that so Kipchoge what? looks older than Mo Farah. He does. This is true. And there is speculation. He does not look 34. There is speculation. I, mean, I 34 that, can look a lot of different ways. Yeah, there is speculation that Kipchoge's age is, is wrong as traditionally in Kenya and sometimes Ethiopia, these things get a little bit fudged. I mean, they're only two years apart. 
That's yeah. not. But yeah. my point is Kipchoge is not old. Yeah. Relative to Farah. Right. And yeah, he's run more marathons, but who cares? He's also won 11. Mar- like it was like he's won he's he's won 12 out of 13 marathons that he's raced. Um, but you can also make the argument that Mo Farah has gotten a lot better at the marathon, you know, in the past year. I felt like winning Chicago has to count for something even though it's not the same as beating Kipchoge. But, I mean, it maybe does. maybe the better question isn't who's going to win. I think it's obvious who's going to win. It's Yeah, I mean, who's it's next? how much longer can he hang on? Or Well, I think it's more of a question of, in this race, who's who who gets second and third. Yeah. I mean, I do agree with you. I didn't pick Farah for the podium in Chicago because I'm a bit of a Farah hater. But he won. That was impressive. He won in an impressive fashion, closing really well in Chicago, running a 205 and change. So that was a feather in his cap, so to speak. But doing that is very different than what he's got to face against Kipchoge. So to me, the bigger bigger question is who's getting second and third. Because in my opinion, there are other athletes more impressive than Farah on this starting line that I would consider picking ahead of him on the podium. You know, I, don't, I, I think if, if Kipchoge and Farah are 1-2, I would be shocked. And I, I don't think I, it's, it's likely that Kipchoge is uprooted here. But will you give me that, Kipchoge number one, and then we can yeah. debate two and three? Yeah, I mean, I, I think <laughs> Mo Farah will get second. I do think he you is. You think he'll get second? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I happen to I disagree. Mean, he, has, he, he has a lot of scalps under his belt. I mean, he arguably was the best track runner in the world for a number of years and i think i think in the past year he's figured out how to run a marathon well i guess we'll see (laughs) i mean chicago proved it but doing it once is one thing doing it again is another thing especially with the pressure of doing it at home and the pressure of you know a a lawsuit against highly geber salasi breathing down his neck (laughs) But no, really, to me, my, my, my pick for second, you want to know? Well, first, we should mention really quick um, that Kiptum, the half marathon world record holder, is not eligible for this conversation because he was busted for doping and he's not busted. in the field anymore. Busted with a... So take him off your list. <laughs> busted with an adverse... Wait, before that news, was he on your list? Was he someone you were thinking about at all? No. No. He wouldn't have been a podium choice. It's it's hard. I mean, if you look at the fastest half marathoners in the world, Tadisi was the one before him, prior world record holder, yeah. who got absolutely demolished in the breaking two right. affair. It, it doesn't seem to perfectly translate to the marathon. So I wouldn't have picked him on the podium because you have experienced marathoners that are really fast in this field that I think are are too legit against somebody who's a debutante like that. But Kipton's out, I think, to no one's surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Came back with an adverse biological passport finding, which has taken him out. There was a moment where everyone was like, wait, who is this again? Oh, he's a world record holder. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he kind of came out of nowhere to get that world record, and so I think everybody questioned it. But let's just mention the other players that need to be mentioned so obviously there's Farah first in Chicago, the the track pedigree that you talk about. 
finished behind Kipchoge last year in London. Uh, oh, go ahead. Shura Katata, second in London last year, second in New York in the fall, 204 marathoner. Wilson Kipsang, former world record holder, the only man to ever beat Kipchoge in a marathon. Finished third in Berlin in in the fall, which was a shock to me. I thought Kipsang was the had become the DNF king. Right. And so that and I think you even picked Kipsang in the conversation, whereas I didn't. I think you actually Really? Actually, yeah, I think you made a good choice with him, if I remember correctly. There's Garamu, second in Chicago behind Farah, two oh four PR as well. And Tamarat Tola, fourth in New York this past fall, also another 204 guy. Daniel Wanjuru, fifth at New York, finished first in London two years ago when Kipchoge set it out to do the breaking two attempt. So those are your other big players. For the Brits, we also have to mention Colum Hawkins, who is a legitimate, legitimate threat to do well here, probably not a legitimate threat for the podium. So, if you're going with Farah for two, so Kipchoge Farah for two, who's your third pick? Um, thinking, thinking, <laughs> not sure. All right, well, I'll give you my second pick first while you think. I, I think Shura Katata will be your second finisher here. Finished second in London last year, second in New York. He seems to have mastered the second place finish. At New York, I think he would have won had he not managed that race so poorly. I mean, he was the one, the aggressor, the entire race, was throwing surges in the entire time. DeCisa kept matching him. Eventually, Kim Rohr also matched him and then went ahead of him at the end. But even after you thought he was going to get dropped by Kamroor as DeCisa, he came back to get second and threatened DeCisa even at the end coming into Central Park. I think he's a tough runner. He's a fast runner who's run a 204. And I think a race like this sets up well for him because it's it's a pace to fare. And he'll be able to, instead of worrying about strategy and dealing with surges, he'll just kind of be able to settle in and run fast like he did last year behind Kipchoge. So I'm predicting a Kipchoge Katata repeat in the top two positions. Then who would you pick third? Would you put Mo third? Because um, there's no way the same three places <laughs> would happen again. <laughs> I mean, it could. It could. It could. I, you know, I, I wouldn't pick Kip. I wouldn't pick Farrah third. Yeah. You're not a, you're not, but you said yourself, you're just not a Mo Farrah fan. uh, That's part of it, but part of it is also, I'm just not convinced that he's figured it out. And if you look at the resumes of some of these other guys, they're legit. I mean, this is a tough field. It's not as deep as the women's field, but it's a tough field. I mean, he hasn't run as fast as some of the guys, right? He has a slower PR. He has a slower PR than Garamu, than Kip Sang, than Ranjuru. Ranjuru's won London. Garamu finished second in Chicago, but that was behind Farah. But he's also run faster than him. Here's the thing. I think 
I think Farah. I think Chicago played out perfectly for Farah. It was a more conservative early pace, and he closed really strongly. Now, people say you can't really talk about track speed at the end of a marathon. No, you can't. But it's very different running a marathon that way than going out in 101. Right. Very different equation, right? And I feel like if you're Farah and you go out hard it plays a little bit to your disadvantage when it comes to your comes to racing guys that have faster PRs. And then I, I guess it it's a completely different situation running a Kipchoge marathon versus a non-Kipchoge marathon yeah. in that sense then. Totally. So unless unless what if Kipchoge doesn't care about running that fast? I don't think he does. I think he cares about winning. I don't I don't think he cares. I don't think he cares if he gets a world record or not. I think Kipchoge just wants to win. Do you think we'd ever see a slower more tactical race? No, it's not going to be slower tactical, but I think Kipchoge could win in 203. Yeah. And it would be a minute and a half slower than his world record and he would be happy with that. I think he got the very the, the most perfect conditions and situation in Berlin. Perfect weather, no wind. And that allowed him to really crush the last 12K. If it's windy in London, he ends up by himself. It might be harder to run that fast. But the thing is, he's run 201, 38, 39, sorry. The next fastest PR in this field is 204. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 huge difference in a marathon. Huge. Yeah. So when they go out in 101 and change... It's like, no big deal for him. Everybody else is kind of on the limit. And so then when it comes to the end, it's just really a matter of who can hold on the best of the rest of the pack. And if you look at London's history, most of the time, the podium kind of splinters from there. And it'll be like Kipchoge running 203 or 204. And then you get like a 205 and like a 206 high. And then everybody else is like, 209, 210. I mean, that's kind of the way it works. You have all these guys going out really fast, and then it kind of just, it's a war of attrition at the end. Right. And so who can win the war of attrition is probably the best question of the of the second and third players. And Farah did it well last year, to his credit. You know, that pace last year was, was hotter. Like, he was supposed to be in the second pack last year. He ended up in the lead pack because there was no second pack. It kind of just didn't play out correctly with the Pacers. And so they went out, I think, in 101 flat last year, something crazy for him. And he held it together pretty well, got third in, I think, a 206 and change. Katata held it together better. So what, which one of these other guys can hold it together better? I like Katata for second still. I'm going to go with Garamu, the other Ethiopian athlete who's run 204. He got okay. second to Chicago. Check second to Farah in Chicago, and we'll say Farah's fourth or fifth. What do you think? I mean, because you just said, well, you said Farah for second, so who's getting third? <laughs> Come on, JoJo. Pick, I mean, I pick a make I a mean, choice. I guess I would pick Katata. Um. I, I'm not going to lie. I hesitated when you asked me at first because 
Sometimes he's listed as Tola Shura, and sometimes he's listed as Shura Katata. So I yeah. wanted to double check and make sure yeah, I was yeah. looking at the right person. He, he usually has Katata on his bit. Yeah. At these things. Um, but yeah, I, d- I do remember him from last year. Um, yeah, I, I see Mo Farah getting second, though. But okay. I'm just going with the name brand, honestly. Yeah, so Farah yeah. for second, Katata for third. Is that... Yeah, we'll pin you down my on pick. that. That's All right, my pick. it's 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 a good pick. I like Katata on the podium, as I've said, and I, you know, and Farah might be able to put it together here. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But I do think, as I said, it's going to be that war of attrition and who can hold on the best after a a pace that's going to be too hot for everybody but Kipchoge early, and it's just funny. I mean, he, I mean, listening to Kipchoge talk, I mean, he's such a quotable athlete. I don't know if you saw the quote this week from an interview where he said, you know, you, you can't look in the rear view, you'll crash your car. <laughs> Basically, like, it doesn't matter what I've done in the past. It's all about the future. I want to focus on this race. I mean, he's just, he is not only physically an impressive specimen, but mentally he has all the tools. And in the marathon, that matters. He might be the three-eyed raven. <laughs> I don't know if you watched Game Brand? of Thrones. <laughs> so is he Bran? I'm all, up, I'm no, all I think caught up. Bran is I'm, becoming Kipchoge. I'm all caught up. <laughs> That's what they mean when they say he's... <laughs> you know, you might be right. Kipchoge could be <laughs> on the throne at the end of all of this. There's some people who think Bran will make... Will be the... Oh, I mean, Bran has become my favorite character. Weirdly, no, I know, but some people think show. he'll be the... On, I can see it. On the Iron Throne at the end of this. Yeah. I just don't know how that works from a genealogy standpoint, but, but yeah, was it four episodes left? Yeah, just four. Well, quick, di- big quick diversion. This this <laughs> next one's going to be big. I guess they have the longest battle scene in TV history right. as the White Walkers attack Winterfell. And one of the longest. It's got to be one of the longest ever television episodes. It's basically a movie. How and long it, is it's it? Eighty minutes long. Eighty minutes. Um, I'm excited about yeah. that. I will I will not get up early to watch London. I'll DVR <laughs> that, but I will I will stay up to watch Game of Thrones. Oh, I saw someone had a funny tweet. I'm trying to remember what athlete it was. I think it was um uh it might have been one of the NJ New Jersey New York guys or okay. it might have been a college athlete. I honestly don't remember. It just showed up in my timeline, but they were like it was like pen relays. Battle of, Battle of Winterfell, <laughs> like <laughs> Avengers Endgame, most epic weekend ever. It's funny. <laughs> nice. So before we switch to the women's race, what are your predictions for who's going to die in this episode? Oh. What key, what key, oh, my God. What, what will be the biggest name who dies in this episode? Okay. So I actually have a, a theory that they're all going to die, and then the show will shift to... If they all become, uh, I mean, if they're all dead, they're all dead, and then they're all just going to resume the fight for the Iron Throne as the so undead, it'll be basically like the un the, the dead. What do un- they call them? The Night Walkers. The Night Walkers. Yeah, they'll all be Night Walkers. Or yeah, and I, white, white Walkers. White Walkers. White Walkers. Yeah. So they'll all be White Walkers, and then go attack Cersei. I guess so. Yeah. Then they so have John to attack Snow Cersei. will be a White Walker, and then but then eventually he'll sit on the Iron Throne anyway. Yeah. As a White Walker. It's one theory. 
Well, because it's like, how can you really? I mean, they can't beat those guys. They can't beat the Night King. But what about the the Dragon Glass and you know? I mean, they don't have enough. I feel like they don't have enough guys. Or the my other theory that I stole from someone on the internet. I made that theory up. My other theory that I took from someone who knows more about the show than me. Uh, you know how they're putting all the women and children in the crypt in Winterfell. Yeah. So I think all the dead people. The, the dead Starks are going to rise up and then fight the White Walkers. And then that will help. That could help them win the battle. Either that or they come out of the crypt and kill all the women and children. Interesting. Yeah. It'll be fascinating. I have no, I have no such theories. I, I just, I'm excited to watch and see what happens. <laughs> I think Bran is a wild card. You never know. Like if he can lure the, the, the Night King in or whatever. How are they letting Theon be the guy to guard him? That he's honestly, the worst character that to fight the Night King. Was the most ridiculous part of the last <laughs> episode. I had a few issues with the last episode. That one, especially because it was like he volunteers, yeah. and then everybody's like, "Oh yeah, of course." Maybe they don't really. I feel like they don't really believe Bran. Maybe. They're kind of like, oh, maybe okay. like, ah, Bran dies, no big Whatever. deal. Well, hopefully we didn't spoil that for anybody. But that was our quick Game of Thrones diversion. Let's talk about the women's race. Yes. This field at the front is what some would say is the greatest women's marathon marathon field ever assembled. Now it's slightly less insane than it was because Tiranesh Dababa pulled out as of a couple of weeks ago because she announced she was pregnant with her second child. So we're not getting Dababa on the starting line, but we do have the last four winners of the last four major marathons. Vivian Chiriot, who won London last year, defending champion Mary Kitani, who won New York, who's also a four-time New York champion, a three-time London champion, has won 50% of the marathon she's raced. Bridget Kosky, who won Chicago in 218 and got second last year in London to Chiriot, and then Gladys Torono, who won Berlin in 218. I mean, this is unbelievable. And by the way, Mary Kitani is the fastest women's only marathon record holder with a PR of 217.01, second behind only the great Paula Radcliffe, who has the open field world record with, with men allowed. This so is a tough race to predict. Those four, it's really tough. Those four are, are, are amazing. You also have Rosa Dereje, who's an Ethiopian athlete who's run 219, Burhani Dababa, no relation, who's also run 219. So a couple of other ladies who have run under 220, but it would seem like your winner is going to come from those first, first four that I mentioned. The other note that we have to mention for this race is that last year the idea was to go out and get Paula Radcliffe's record. So they had male pacemakers. We're going for that 215 marathon this year. Kitani has said, I'm not doing that. We're going to have pacemakers, but we're going to go after that women's only record or perhaps a slightly slower initial opening pace so she's not going out in crazy suicide pace that cost her last year as she faded and then eventually i believe dropped out of that race uh she was fifth or yeah so she faded to fifth Dababa for dropped her out. basically dropping out yeah Dababa <laughs> dropped out of that race so so this one's tough because all of these women are legitimate yeah and what Katani did at new york to basically demolish the field from the Queensboro Bridge in was just insane and impressive. 
She has the best resume in the field, certainly with her PR, with her seven major titles, including three from London. But Chiriot is the defending champ and a 10K track athlete a la Mo Farah that can, can have that can be legitimate as well and has run 218. So, gosh, I don't even know how to handicap this one. <laughs> it's tough. It's it's tough to bet against Mary Katani. Uh, I, I feel like she rarely has bad races, and when she does have a, a bad for her marathon, there's always a reason behind it. You yep. know, last year, going for a record, falling off pace. Uh, the year she lost New York to Shalane Flanagan, apparently she was going through some health issues. Yep. Um, so it's, it's, I think it's hard to bid against her. Uh, although I could see the other women winning. Um, I mean, you know what's interesting is that, I mean, I was looking at their ages and see she's 37. I mean, we talk about <laughs> Mo Farah and Elliot Kipchoge being old, and she's older than both of them. Well, um, yeah, and Kiblegat, who's 39, got second in Boston. Right. So, yeah, I'm not worried about age. This one is tricky, but I agree with you on Keitani. She's my pick for the win because I think I think she's really annoyed that she didn't win last year. <laughs> the reason she didn't win is because she went out on suicidal pace, and she blew up a little bit, and it was a little bit warm, and so that made it tough. So you know, I think this time she's playing for the win. I think she'll, as, as her role in the pacemaking, decision-making, I think she'll... She'll pick a fast, but in her wheelhouse, opening pace, probably something around 108.45 or 109 that she can handle. And then it's going to be a barn burner foot race to see who can hang on for that. And we know Kuski and Chirono and Chiriot can do it. They've all run to 18. Right. But who hangs on? If we're picking Keitani for first, who hangs on for second and third? It's almost like you just draw, draw like straws, <laughs> flip a coin. I don't know. I, I tend to think Chiriot's going to get second. I think she's she's got the killer instinct, so to speak, in this group. And if you look at the fields that Kozgi faced and Chirono faced in Berlin and Chicago... The women's fields in those two races were relatively weak. Mm-hmm. And so I think in this stacked field, I like the Chiriot and Keitani's of the world better than those other two. And so I'm going to do, I'm going to go Keitani, Chiriot for second, and then I'll pick Chirono for third because I think her resume is a little deeper than Koski. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? I'm going to pick Kosky for third just to be different. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to give it to her because she ha- she's 10 years younger. So right. I, I think she'll she'll use that youthful energy. Uh, Fair enough. I mean, she was, you know, she's got a good record too the, the past year. She was second in London, first in Chicago. Um, True. I, I agree with, with what you're saying. It, Chicago and Berlin weren't as deep fields. Yep. Um, so the wins, like, weren't as impressive comparatively. Um, I mean, it just, I think it makes sense to put Katani first, Chariot second. And you're going Koski for third. All right, I got Chirono, yeah. so we've got a little bit of difference on both uh, of those podiums. 
But I wouldn't be surprised, though, if somehow a Derege, a Dababa, or some other unknown snuck into third if there's some shrapnel right. from that opening pace, depending on how fast they go to start. But this is going to be a good... This is definitely the race to watch, is this women's race to see who can who can be the champion of champions, basically. Yeah. I mean, it's... It's pretty likely something will happen to one of those top four that yeah. we're not, you know, right. on paper, though. That's probably what should happen. Yeah. Now, the other race to me that's exciting for this one is the American women in this field. Molly Huddle, Emily Sisson, training partners that both work under Ray Tracy. This is Sisson's debut marathon. She's only 27. Huddle's 34. Obviously has some experience getting fourth in New York last year, 2016, getting third in New York. Had a tough time in Boston in 28 in 2018, but everybody we just did. Strike that but from everybody the did. <laughs> and to me, this is going to be fascinating to see which one of these two does well and how well they both do. Right. This is Molly's first chance to go out in a fast, flat paced race, and this is Sisson's debut. It seems like. In some ways, the, the student is becoming the teacher as Emily beat Molly in the recent 10K at Stanford as they both scored the 10K standard. My prediction is that Emily Sisson beats Molly Huddle, but they both run fast. I'm gonna pick I'm gonna pick Sisson in a low 222 and Molly in a mid to high 223 which would be a pr for her and that would be a massive debut for emily Sisson. yeah that would be i feel like that would change that might change a lot of our conversations about you know jordan kind of being the heir apparent top marathoner uh for emily to come out and beat molly in her very first one that would be big yeah i mean to me she's made for the marathon she's shown that she's on form with that 10k Molly, I feel like, lacks confidence, and I don't know that her running style is suited to the marathon. Although, if, it, if there is a marathon that is suited to it, it would be this one, which would be more, I think, consistent pacing versus what she's had at Boston and New York. If, if Emily runs a 222 low, as I'm predicting, that'll be an American debut record, which would be amazing. would also make her the sixth fastest American marathoner women's marathoner ever behind Dina, Jordan, Shalane, Joni, and Amy Craig. Yeah, what was what was Jordan's debut? 225? Two, no, she ran 223 at Boston in her debut. Yeah, I mean, that is what she's aiming for. They're aiming for 222, 223. Yeah, they said 71 first half would be their target opening pace so i'm predicting emily holds that well molly fades a little bit molly still gets a three minute or so pr and obviously world standards and a good results for both of them but i just think emily is actually more suited to the marathon and in some ways you're saying molly's not suited for the marathon but she has run she's finished she made a podium at new she's york she's not before. suited the way she is for the track i guess is what i'm saying for her yeah I think her best chance to make an Olympic team for Tokyo is at the, is the 10K. 
I mean, Molly, Molly's going to be able to make the 10K team if she wants to. I don't, I don't, I don't know, know that she can make the marathon team. It seems hard to come back down to the 10K. Jen Rines did it. She made a team yeah, in the marathon. Shalane couldn't do it. Shalane couldn't do it, but she almost did it. Almost. But Molly's not Shalane. She's not. She's not, but... Although she's better in the 10K than Shalane She's better Shalane in the 10K, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I, so it's it's me talking, but I'm just saying, I've been predicting this since January that Emily yeah. would beat Molly in this race. I think Emily gets a debut record, and then that suddenly jumps her potentially into that second spot behind Jordan as favorites for the trials. Yeah. Uh, I, I've been interested to see Molly's comments to the press before this race. It seems very um, fatalistic in a way, or sort of maybe she's starting to see the end of her career come up at her because, uh, I mean, one quote, I think this was from the Runner's World article, uh, but she just said, when you get to be my age, you never know how many more years you have performing your best. We look at this as my chance to run fast for now and the best chance. I guess she's, she qualifies it by saying for now. But sort of reading some of these things, it felt like this is her last chance ever to have a super fast marathon. And I guess when you look at, I mean, you don't know that it'll happen in 2020 because the trials and the Olympics are more tactical. But yeah. um, I just thought that was interesting. And Well, who knows what she's thinking about career-wise. This is also kind of how Molly answers questions about the marathon. When I was, you know, we, we talked to her at New York in the press conference yeah. last year. She's afraid of the marathon. Like, she just is. She's an assassin on the track, but she, she just hasn't wrapped her head around the marathon. She, has, she does not have confidence. She also said in the press conference, I'm pretty sure I'm ready for London. <laughs> but when talking about Emily's fitness, she says she's really ready for it. So it's just odd to me that someone who has been so dominant, she has 27 U.S. titles. Right. As I've said before, death, taxes, and Molly Huddle. I mean, that was pretty (laughs) much the thing with with the 10K or road race, you know, half marathon or shorter. Molly's going to win if it's a U.S. champ. But you go to the marathon and suddenly she doesn't have the confidence. It's just weird. But I just, I don't see that she's going to magically get it. And she should have it. I mean, fourth at New York behind Shalane, Kitani, and Chiriot this year. I mean, that's amazing. So why does she doesn't have the confidence? I don't know. But I'm telling you, in the marathon, you need it in order to do your best. And I just feel like, for whatever reason, she doesn't have it yet. I hope she gets it. I hope she just crushes this one and proves me wrong and beats her training partner, runs a 221 or something, and suddenly believes. But I just I don't see it happening. We shall see. Interesting. I was thinking like, oh, she's actually going to go get the American record and run really fast, but she doesn't want to say that out loud. <laughs> no, I'm telling but you. But I can, I can see. She's yeah, not see in that headspace <laughs> at all. I guarantee it. I mean, I've, I've talked to her a couple of times about marathons and both times it was sort of like, I don't know, like. I don't know what I can do. Like, I haven't mastered the marathon yet. I'm not sure about my fitness. Yeah. For I mean, I'm telling you, she does not believe. And if you don't believe in the marathon, you will get, you get found out. Right. <laughs> and Emily, it just seems like she's kind of ignorance is bliss. You know, right. she doesn't know what she's getting into, but she's, so she doesn't, she doesn't 
she's not overconfident, but she also doesn't have any doubts. She's just like, it just seems like she's just going to do it and see what happens. And is very open-minded about what might happen versus Molly, I feel like, has some devil, a little devil on her shoulder that's convincing her that maybe this isn't the right distance right. for her. But at the same time, she's done three. Emily's never done one. So I would still pick Molly to beat her. All right. We'll see. There's There's beginner's luck in the marathon but if they both have a banner day you know is someone getting in the top five are they both in the top 10 what do, uh, how do both you think? top 10 yeah. for sure i mean after after those those top four the the field thins out and you know stephanie bruce finished 10th in i think that was 2017 and so i think they're both they're both top 10 are they top five? Maybe fifth, fifth, sixth, seventh, I think would be kind of where they could fall if they hit those times. Because oftentimes when things fall apart for that, that front group, people go backwards. Right. But look, if Huddle runs a 223, she'll be, the s- and and depending on what, what Sisson does, she'll be the sixth or seventh fastest U.S. marathoner ever. That's really impressive. Yeah. And maybe that'll give her the confidence that she needs. And she's still a threat. Don't get me wrong. She's still a threat to make an Olympic team in the marathon. I just want to see her believe in herself. Right. I mean, to her credit, too, though, before the before New York, her last marathon had been a really terrible experience at Boston. So I feel like True. I could understand some hesitance on her part. And that makes sense. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Because we're not there now, so we don't know. We aren't. And, and I'm <laughs> trying to think of it because I, I think she also just presents like that, too. Like, she is a, kind of, like, unassuming uh, in my interactions maybe. with her, in my interviews with her. Maybe. But I've seen her. I mean, I, to me, like, listening to her before a 10K, it's you don't hear doubt. Yeah, you you don't necessarily hear overt confidence or arrogance or like, hey, I'm gonna go crush everybody's souls. Like you don't hear that from Molly ever. She's an, as you say, unassuming. But before a 10k, you don't hear doubt. But from before the marathon, doubt. So that's the difference. But but I think like it's because she we'll got see. frostbite in the last one. Uh, and like I don't I don't I don't <laughs> think that's it. I don't think that's the only thing. So but we'll see. I hope you're right. Because I'm a Molly fan, and don't don't uh, mistake my my pick here for not being a Molly fan. I hope she figures it out. I hope she crushes everyone's souls and runs a negative split 220. That would be amazing. But I just I'm predicting that it won't happen. But she'll still run well, still get the standard, still be a top seven marathoner in U.S. history. But I think she'll get beat by her teammate. So we'll see. All eyes on London on Sunday. Definitely. Set your DVRs or get up early at 425 Eastern, 325 Central to watch this women's race. 325 our time? 325 our time is when the women's race starts. Are you watching this? I'm going to DVR it. I will not be. (laughs) I will not be waking up. Look, I got three kids at home. I can't. (laughs) I can't afford to lose sleep. So will you look at Twitter or you'll just watch it? I'll look at Twitter. I don't mind finding out. I'll find out and then I'll watch it again. But fast forwarding through stuff so because i always like to see how it plays out yeah like actually get impressions of the race independent of just the results but yeah uh, but no i'll look through twitter i'll find out who won and and then i'll go watch it 
So there you go. That's our London preview. Any final thoughts? We've we've got some different picks here, so we'll we'll see how those things play out on Sunday. But this is definitely one to watch. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, thanks for coming out. If people want to follow you on Twitter or any other way, what's the best way? Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at JoJo underscore Shea, J-O-J-O underscore S-H-E-A, JoJo Shea. JoJo Shea, um, middle name Shea? Yes. Awesome. Yeah. And again, I have a new story coming out about Lindsey Flanagan, one of the top marathoners you probably don't know too much about yet so but you should be fun. yeah when's where that. is that coming uh so what, what it's outlet? coming to competitor running which recently rebranded as podium runner okay uh sister publication to women's running awesome yeah so probably early next week we'll look out for that thanks for coming on and thanks for all you do to spread the love as a freelancer with our sport Thanks to our audience for listening. Go watch London this weekend. And, of course, check us out at roguerunning.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.